Lights. Camera. Action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner. And the matchup we'll be getting into this week is 2011's Drive versus 2012's Man on a Ledge. Keenan, 2012 in particular, a year we frequently refer back to on the podcast. Big week this week. A rewatch technically, though I remembered very little about either film. How are we doing today? Yeah, surviving, mate. Surviving. Getting by. Your Ooh, birthday next week. Yeah, next Tuesday. Another year wiser, so they say. I was going to say another year older, but probably no wiser. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Not much new to the week this week, but I do have something to ask you about. So we will get into that to kick us off. Blonde director Andrew Dominic called the allegations that he exploited Marilyn Monroe strange because she's dead. <laughs> That's a fair point. He has gone on quite the rants and fair to say he doesn't understand any of the criticism whatsoever. Still yet to see the film. Yeah, he says he understands that there's no evidence that she had multiple abortions and was raped on multiple occasions. But people need to understand that he's trying to push the boundaries in a time when people are making cinema soft. He doesn't want you to be comfortable and sit there all happy and cosy where you watch his films. And so he says that's uh, his defense of it. Well, if that's his aim, he's by your conversation on it, he achieved it. (laughs) He said... People need to understand they have their own memory or thoughts of what Marilyn Monroe is and his film is merely upsetting people because it's distorting their view of that. So fair to say he won't be changing his ways anytime soon. Well, he set his stall out and like I say, (laughs) probably achieved all he's achieved. If that's his aim, he's achieved it. So not saying right or wrongly, rightly or wrongly, but... Nonetheless, if that's what he wanted to do, he's done it. And in seemingly the latest chapter of Anna Diarmas news, uh, slash John Wick news, slash Keanu Reeves news, Keanu Reeves says that Ballerina will be set between John Wick chapters three and four. Um, not sure how much that means to you, but I have decided I am going to watch John Wick three over the Christmas break, and then I'll be caught up, will I not? Yep. Okay, so I'll watch that. If you get a chance, you can watch a TV show. Didn't even know there was one. Yep. I've heard mixed reviews of three. Um, I love it. Glowing from you. um, Very poor from Blackton, who has also been on the Monday podcast. So although I align myself with your taste in films more than his, so we'll see how we go. How much do you like the first two? Um, The first one, I was indifferent. Yeah. Um, I can't say that a rewatch wouldn't change that. The second one I really quite liked. Okay. I think then there's every chance that you'll enjoy number three. 
I'm sure I'll enjoy it. We'll see uh, just how much, and then enough certainly to watch the spin-off with uh, Anna Diarmas involved. No, I and feel like you would have watched it anyway. We'll see how we go. Um, and after last week, the seemed to go down fairly well. I do have another edition of the IMDb ratings game for you. Okay, fair enough. Some of them last week, I felt we were punching a bit above our weight and we were going for a lot more of the blockbuster films, which aren't necessarily our bag. And so I've taken us back down a notch. We're back into the fives and sixes. Okay, not sure what you're trying to say, but... Well, I mean, our whole thing last week, Rise of the Foot Soldier, was about the yeah. appreciation of a certain type of film. We do. All right, on a ledge, we'll be doing uh, later. Yeah. And so we're right around there. And you'll see where I'm going here, because yeah. I will kick you off. 2007's Ghost Rider yeah. versus 2005's The Dukes of Hazard, which has the higher IMDb rating. Uh, Ghost Rider. <laughs> yeah, you're incorrect, I'm afraid. The Dukes of Hazard is rated 5.2 compared to Nick Cage's Ghost Rider at a 5.1. I actually like the Dukes of Hazard film, by the way. Agreed, agreed. I mean, there is some criminal activity. Maybe maybe it could have found its way into this bracket, but uh, not today. Yeah, it could have done. Crying comedy, we could have done it. I can't say uh, Employee of the Month won't make our bracket of uh, rom-coms, but long way to go before that. 2001's Jurassic Park 3 versus 2002's Mr. Deeds. Mr. Deeds is higher? Mr. Deeds is rated 5.8 compared to Jurassic Park 3's 5.9. I honestly did not know it was a Jurassic Park 3, so there we go. That's the first one I actually remember seeing. Uh, the logo from memory was kind of metallicked out and then it was like three claw marks across the logo. You'd probably recognize it. Mr. Deed, some film. Yeah, and another film I know you're a big fan of, uh, 2017's A Bad Mum's Christmas (laughs) versus 2012's That's My Boy. (laughs) A Bad Mum's Christmas. (laughs) Still maintains the record being the only film I've ever walked out of. But Walk Back In, which actually I think says more. Wait, but you and I had gone. I wasn't going to disappear and leave you on your own, was I? No, well, there was more of us. But I actually think when something, something has to be kind of in the middle for me to turn it off. If it's particularly bad, I'm almost like, right, I'm seeing this through to the end so I can fully grasp just how bad this is. It was that bad. I I think I was gone for about 20 minutes. Went for a cigarette break and uh, yeah, back in, yeah, and then just decided, just barely paid attention to the rest of it, which is such a shame because honestly, I think the first one's great, crap. Yep. So uh, uh, I the... feel like Bad, Bad Moon's Christmas is going to be the answer because you've included it, but <laughs> that that's my boy is a far superior film. Agreed. A Bad Mum's uh, Christmas was well, the same as Bad Mum's actually. Mila Kunis's love interest looking like a. Slightly stretched out Alexis Sanchez is also what I remember it for, aside Mila Kunis. Um, yeah, 5.6 for A Bad Mum's Christmas compared to 5.5 for That's My Boy. It was obvious as soon as you included that. <laughs> Hopefully a tougher one for you. 2006's X-Men 3, The Last Stand yeah. versus 2004's Dodgeball. 
Uh, X-Men 3 is the higher. X-Men 3 is a 6.6 compared to Dodgeball 6.7. Good. I'm glad that's the answer. I actually, and I have a theory that I can base it off nothing else other than that, I actually think 6.7 is the optimum rating for a comedy. Just having a look down the list. Yeah, as you say, do some research. It might be. Um, we've we've said before you don't necessarily want a critically acclaimed comedy. No, no, it normally means it's sad. Like, oh, yeah, know. yeah. It has to be like it has to be a tragic a tragic comedy for it to be critically acclaimed. So oh, I, I, I remember going to the cinema to see that fifty fifty. I that's exactly the one I was going to reference. Yeah, and like, what the fuck is this? Jesus, it's a very good film. It is, it is. I, I think I remember. I think I shed a tear in the cinema at that. Was right as he's about to go in for his uh, surgery. Yeah, it's a very, very good film. But Christ, the right idea. Yeah, yeah. I was sitting down to watch a comedy. I don't want that. No, so I was right before I was going to see it, explaining to my uncle what it's about, and he's like, "Oh, all right, enjoy that then." <laughs> I lowered my uh, mood, and then it was punched uh, furthermore by the actual film. Yeah. Lastly, today. The Battle of the Will Smith sequels, 2003's Bad Boys 2 yeah. versus 2002's Men in Black 2. Bad Boys 2. You're correct. Bad Boys 2, 6.6 to Men in Black 2, 6.1. You know, you know how I feel about Bad Boys 2. Thoughts on the Men in Black films? Uh, I've seen, I've seen one in, I've seen one quite a few times. I think I've seen I've seen two. It's where Tommy Lee Jones loses his memory, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Um, I think I've seen that once, maybe twice, and then I watched bad, uh, I watched the third one in the cinema. Yeah, same. Um, I didn't mind it. Yeah, that, so, that that was rated higher than the third, which um, surprised me. Yeah, I quite like the third. Um, also, as we've spoken about, as it's been mentioned, I remember X Men Three taking a lot of heat, but I quite like it. Agreed. Agreed very strongly. I think we we nearly did it before, didn't we? Or was it X-Men yeah. 2 we nearly did? No, X2 it was. We always did. Yeah. can't think mm. what we did instead of it. Can't remember. No. Um, well, there we go. So you got two out of five this week, but a couple yeah, of curveballs in there. It was a poor poor week for me this week. We'll, we'll come back stronger. I think um, the same as when, if you watch any kind of quiz show, you start questioning, is this one in here for a reason? Yeah. 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 And that's where I've got you. But anyway, we'll move on to our first film of the day, and that is 2011's Drive. You give me a time and a place, I give you a five-minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes, and I'm yours, no matter what. I don't carry a gun. I drive. I got the driver. This kid is special. Nice to meet you. My hands are a little dirty. So am I. You stole from the East Coast mob. This driver's got to go. Drive. Rated R. Starts September 16th. There we go, Keenan. So we spoke a lot about Ryan Gosling last week, so we won't go over that again. A mysterious Hollywood action film stuntman gets in trouble with gangsters when he tries to help his neighbor's husband rob a pawn shop while serving as his getaway driver. 
What do you think the critics thought of this? Uh, I think this should be positive. I think it's probably be about seven point two. I don't have the rating, but I believe it is over a seven. It was ninety three percent was the critics' rating on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. With its hyper stylized blend of violence, music, and striking imagery, Drive represents a fully realized vision of art house action. Underneath the crafty and stylish surface lies a fairly simple and conventional action thriller. Action buffed down to its essence and serving the purpose of an emotional reaction rather than a strictly visceral one. Poetic with its minimalism, excessive in its violence and artistic with its presentation. And finally, Gosling continues his string of strong work. It's a performance with little dialogue, but Gosling commands your attention, evoking memories of James Dean or early Marlon Brando in the process. Some praise. Mm. Not, but not a, bad, not a bad company to keep, I suppose. No, so the only real background on him as far as this film goes, in preparation for the role he restored the 1973 Chevy Malibu that his character uses in the film. So his coolness rating continues to go up. Mm. He was actually signed on for this film before the director. Like we heard with Denzel the other week, he was given the choice of director here. He'd not worked with this director before. He looked okay. through, he was he admired his work, and he calls him on board, uh, Norwegian, I believe he is, and obviously comes out to be just a very, very cool stylish film in the process yeah it's got that kind of neon aesthetic that yeah is in at the time and it's probably the coolest i've seen it done without looking like some car you'd have made in like need for speed underground 2 when you're about 10 just chucking the neon lights on everything everything yeah. here looks just very snazzy it's a very interesting choice of words snazzy so a big thing in this film we spoke about it last week in I think it's actually still on the pod. You said this one doesn't talk much. and But this wasn't the one I was thinking of. No, so that's going to confuse you. The film I thought you thought you were thinking of was Only God Forgives, which is the one where he literally has like three lines the entire film. No, or maybe it's not even him. It might even be Tom Hardy. I swear there's a film that he's just in a car for like... Oh, I actually saw that at a cinema. And he it's just called, barely says anything. It's called Lock. With an E. Okay. Yeah, I saw it at a cinema. He's doing this weird like, hybrid of his Bane voice and his normal voice. Um, he just barely says a word. He's just in the motor for the offense. So, yeah, so you hear things like uh, he's got like his phone connected to his uh, like Bluetooth, and so you hear the phone calls coming through, like bitching and moaning at him for whatever. Okay. Um, and, he, yeah, he, he occasionally chips in to like punch his dashboard or curse the voicemail he's just received. Very weird film. Very interesting. I, I wasn't bored during it, but yeah, definitely not this film. Okay, that was fine. That's the one I was talking about. Last yeah, week. I'd, I'd forgotten that existed until you mentioned it. Definitely Tom Hardy. Yeah, okay. Um, maybe it was because it was called Drive. I linked the two together. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I, I have mentioned Only God Forgives on here before. Um, yeah, you're not a fan. We know. No, no. <laughs> so... There was more dialogue initially in the screenplay, the scripts and all of this. The driver and Irene 
the idea was that they say very little to each other. I think just part of the aesthetic of the film. Gosling felt that it should be far more focused on the mood and so refused to say many of the scripted lines, um, which was great for uh, Carrie Mulligan. She was asked how it was to work on the film, and she mm. said she had a great time staring longingly at Ryan Gosling for hours each day. <laughs> no, fair shot. Um, he only speaks a few words at a time. In all, he has 116 lines. Yeah. 891 words. Mm-hmm. And what they did to offset this was Gosling, the director, they had a conversation with Brian Cranston. And Brian Cranston said, well, if he isn't talking, my character should just be a motormath. Yeah. And so most of his dialogue is actually improvised mm. because they just give him free reign to just keep talking and talking and talking and talking. Yeah. It adds something to Ryan Gosling's character because one, I don't think we want to know that much about his character. Like, is not the whole thing about he's kind of eerie and mysterious. We only hear it about his background from people talking about him. See, I disagree a little bit because I want to know why on earth he suddenly just has the ability to turn into fucking Liam Taker. <laughs> but yeah, I drive a little bit. Next thing I know, he next next thing I know, he's stomping, he's, he's crushing someone's head in a lift. He's stabbing someone in the throat with a pipe. He's shooting people. I'm so like, where's this come from? A lot of that, though, in in what I do prefer, is it isn't like. Well, we did it with Safe House, where we said Ryan Reynolds' character is behind a desk. He's just sat at a house mm. for 18 hours a day. And then it comes time for action. And he's going toe-to-toe and beating what's supposed to be the most dangerous special forces operatives in the whole of America. Yeah. For this, a lot of what he's doing, he's not doing it to skilled guys. He's doing it to heavies, basically. And everything he's doing is essentially in just like a fit of rage. He's not swinging three-piece combos. Like he's stabbing, he's stabbing a shower railing through someone's chest. As you said, he's stomping on someone or he's kind of tackling someone to the ground. There's nothing he does that, as ridiculous as this will sound, we w- almost wouldn't feel we could physically handle. I don't think I've got the strength to stab someone in the chest. With no, the no, that's bold. But you know what I mean. It's he, he hasn't. He's not performing a martial art. He's not. I, I get. I get your trained. point. I get your point. But it was just odd that first thing I'll say. Did not expect any of this from this film. No, not sure what I expected, but read the synopsis and honestly, I have no idea. But it wasn't what this wasn't what I thought. It was <laughs> so I said to you last week again i think it was on the episode all i remembered was him just beating the fuck out of someone in a lift and yeah, actually yeah. it says a lot from my memory that it was actually less violent than i remembered it being still it's still it's still pretty violent yeah exactly i thought i knew there was a shot of like the skull coming yeah. apart i thought it was a longer shot yeah and so i kind of did the john wick and built it up and built it up so um that was the way and if we, we we'll jump ahead to the way the violence is handled in this is, is very interesting because as you say, it's very extreme when it does happen. I love it's very quick, though. Yeah. Which I'm not saying it's a bad thing, it's just you're right, it is extreme, but the scene in the bathroom's 
a little bit prolonged, but I suppose there's two blokes in there. He, he does one and then shoots the other. But a lot of it's very, very fast. Like even when, even when early Albania, like even when Bernie kills your man in the in the diner, that's just bang, 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 and then one in the throat, and it's done. Um, I suppose the drowning bit is a, it, it may, it's, it, it's even that's not that that like long. It's toned down, if anything, from yeah. what we see a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it's it, it is done. Even that, like the stabbing at the end, talking, talking, talking. It's yeah. it's a one and one, like bang, bang. Maybe I, they take they leave it leave the the shot on him with the knife in for what one two seconds maybe if that probably one point something yeah not very long and then the return is very quick as well but I think it obviously it fits the it just fits the like the pace of the film and stuff but yeah you're right it doesn't reach levels but it's not I think I think a lot of the film is essentially. Uh the open-ended question of good guys and bad guys. And we get a couple of references to this. The most telling is when he's speaking to Benicio watching the cartoon and he points at the shark and says, is he a bad guy? Mm. How can you tell because he's a shark? And he says, there's no good sharks. And he asks that question. Yeah, That's essentially the film. Like, If we were to break down the characters and what they do, the driver is far more of a shark than a fish, I would say, in that instance. But yeah. he also is considered a good guy to us. Like we're introduced to him through his phone conversation. He says he doesn't hold a gun, and so we're supposed to tick the box of okay, he doesn't like violence. And that's kind of how he justifies distancing himself from the real criminals and bad guys. Yeah. He tries to help the guy who's the biggest hindrance in his life at that point, using yeah. his skills for good to try and help people. And then as the last half an hour really of the film goes on, or the last 45 minutes, the last, for, the last second 45 minutes is immediately after the heist. I know because I've rewatched it again this afternoon. And it is just one violent act over the other, but it's all in the name of keeping people safe. Reminds me, uh, reminded me a lot of Man on Fire, actually. Yeah, that's a good shout because he's, <laughs> I mean, the first one I think of him is he, what? puts a explosive mm-hmm. right up the guy's cheeks and <laughs> tells him he's got what about 20 minutes two minutes isn't it? yeah there you go yeah yeah he put it in and then he tells him yeah um more so in the way that it builds up and builds up and i think it was for a while i was thinking fucking hell is anything going to happen here and then which then means it hits so much harder they don't even need yeah. to be as excessive as they are but it's no, shot in the back and then a headshot like five minutes later yeah, and then it just carries on, and they bang, 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 and then like you say, it's just loops from one lurches from sort of one act to another. Because in terms of the way he presents them, it's it's an odd film in that his thoughts or intentions are almost never presented to us. Um, we only see it through his actions. Like, yeah. there's no doubt. Obviously, he's thinking the whole way through this, trying to figure out what to do. But in other films, we would either get a second character in the room for them to even just speak out loud to, we would get something, the classic shot that I'm convinced is only done for trailers where someone leaves the room, they're alone by themselves and they just scream. And we just got mm. this close up of them just letting out all of their emotions. We don't get any of that in this. He's just A to B, A to B, A to B. 
And as his intentions get better, the repercussions get worse. Yeah, that's very true. And we just see it ripping the whole way through this. How how important do you think it is the time then that's spent with Driver and Irene? And do you think they could have achieved the same level of chemistry for us as an audience if they'd been speaking the whole time rather than just looking at each other? Because it's quite unique in how they build this uh, level of trust between them. Yeah, it is. Uh, yes, you could do the same thing with dialogue. You'd probably do it quicker. Do you think that could I don't say possibly better. move away from what we yeah. see of Gosling's character? Yes, absolutely, it would. But and I'm not saying it would be better, but no. You, yes, you can do it. I mean, that's the dialogue thing is essentially any other film where that's your aim. I get, the only other alternative way of seeing it would maybe be if he was ultra chatty with her, then it would show that he's able to kind of relax. Yeah, and be more free. Because the only person he really speaks freely with is uh, Benicio, isn't it? Yeah. Like he speaks more freely with him than he does her. Mm. Um, I noticed something down I saw from an old review and they said that Drive is just a modern Western. A mysterious dude without a name shows up to a town in a car instead of a horse. And like all good Westerns, he uses violence to, procl- uses violence to proclaim his love and then mysteriously leaves town. It's a very, very fair point. I hadn't even thought of that, but yeah, very, very fair. The casting for this could have been very different. Ryan Gosling replaced Hugh Jackman when they were shipping this about. Hmm. Okay. I think if they've got Jackman, I, I would have wanted someone other than Carrie, Carrie Mulligan, I think. That was literally the next question I was going to ask you. I yeah. think her and Gosling look, and we always say, don't we, about looking right. They look about as right as I've seen. Yeah. No, I agree. Hugh Jackman's an interesting one. I feel like we've seen him in so many violent roles, or maybe it's just recency bias with Wolverine and Logan, which would have been after this. Yeah. Although Prisoners would have been right around the same time. Yeah. This Prisoners would have been shortly after, actually, but he's done some things before then. It feels a more natural turn, him going into being that guy. Like I think it works with Gosling because we don't see him as... If he's doing the violent type, it's this slick, like gangster squad style. Mm-hmm. It's not, I'm going to cave in your skull with the heel of my boot. Yeah, I get you. And Albert Brooks is another interesting one in this. Like, This is a guy who's known for playing almost like meek, nice guys. He's, he's most well known for, or at least his voice, for being in Finding Nemo. It's also Hank Scorpio. What's that from, sorry? The Simpsons. Oh, okay. There you go then. And he flips it over in this. And then he's playing this cold, slick is the wrong word, vicious. Like, he's, he's playing a mob boss, basically. Yeah. And that's why you have Ron Perlman there and you put him above him to just further drive home. This isn't someone to fuck with. Mm. 
he said he wasn't sure how to make his character look more emotionless, and so that led to him shaving his eyebrows off. <laughs> it's such a wild act. I mean, it does work, but it's just hard, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what I thought um, could go different ways, because we've heard it similar before, he says that he tried out for the role in character, and so the second he met Nicholas Refn, he pinned him against a wall and threatened him just to show that he could play the part. I should have, again, I should have bold choice. That was wrong very fast. <laughs> yeah. When you're not due for another 10 minutes, like, why yeah. do you need to smash my head off this wall? Yeah. I could go wrong for so quick. Yeah. And um, yeah. I mean, fair play to you. You've got to, you've got to trust you. You've got to trust in your abilities, haven't you? Probably helps that he's a bit older. So he'd have been like early 60s at the time of yeah. filming this. He's 1947, he was born. Um, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, he'd been 65. Probably so you, time, you can't time, you yeah. can't hit the guy back. So you probably yeah. save yourself a bit. That's fair. And it's a director that's whether rightly or wrong is being given a chance in this. Maybe he feels he can take more liberties. Maybe he didn't even think that much about it. Yeah, maybe he just decided he was going to do it, and that was it. Now, Ryan Cranston in this. 2011, we're we're right in the thick of Breaking Bad. He was one of the first actors that the director looked to cast because he knew him from Breaking Bad. Mm. Cranston has got the world at his feet at this point. Yeah, he is Walter White. He's got all these opportunities, and I'm not sure that's ever. I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure that that's still not true. By the way, oh, I'm sure it is, but it's like. James Gandolfini, if you caught him in like season four of The Sopranos. Yeah, I get you. He, the director hasn't heard back and he says, what have I got to lose? And he, he called him and he said, Cranston tells the story that at that very same time, he was writing a pros and cons list of doing the film. And this is what he did because he had this many offers. Yeah. And he said just the sheer interest from the director was enough to have him accept the part. And the thing that got him interested in the first place is before even sending the script in the way he usually would, he sent the script with the character suggestion and said, let me know what you would do to change this character. And just being given that level of, I guess, respect. Mm. All these things got him over the line. And it's, it's interesting because I'm sure a lot of the other roles he was getting, he was probably front, center, the only man on the poster. Yeah. It's weird how that's gone for him. In what way? I feel like it's almost choice the roles he had because there never seemed to be a phase when he was getting big leading man no. poster roles. The the clearest <laughs> one I remember is he did the infiltrator. Yeah. In that's, that that's phase. A, that's probably that's a good few years on from this though. That, yeah, that was like 2014. So I think it might be after that. Yeah, that was right in the thick of like every Esca- every film was an Escobar film <laughs> mm, <laughs> before yeah. we moved into the Ted Bundy era. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah maybe 2018. Maybe 2018. 
This was right in the Narcos era, wasn't it? That was. Yeah, yeah. They made about three films about Pablo Escobar in the same year. Yeah, we have to be doing one on the pod already, haven't we, in American Made? Yeah. Um, and just a little quirky thing. Uh, the movie's tagline is the same tagline that was used for No Country for Old Men. There are no clean getaways. Yeah, nice. Um, the driving in this film, obviously a very big thing. Mm. That opening chase scene is is so good. Yeah. Um, it's filmed differently to what we would usually see. It's filmed almost like... I think we spoke about a similar example a few weeks ago. Like on a first mission in COD where you have to get into the back of a car and you can just move your joystick left and right and have a look at the scenery. Yeah. And it was done that way because, I mean, the size of the cameras they're using, to get that in the back of a car, there's only so much direction you can move. Yeah, exactly. And he said, right from the get-go, if the character's not going to speak, if I get you essentially sat over his shoulder, yeah, you're with this guy now. You're you're with this guy for the rest of the film. You've gone through this with him to kick the film off. Yeah. And it... And it's almost video game style, isn't it? It's not ripping through, flipping cars over, dashing in and out of six, seven cars. It's evade, get into space, hide. Evade, get into space, hide. It literally is like a mission from a yeah. video game. Exactly. Because the trailers gave the impression that this was a kind of a car chase film like Fast and Furious. Yeah, one woman actually sued because she did not get that kind of film. Fair enough. And I think its greatest strength is people going in and seeing that. And I'm sure it probably is very well received. But I would still say if you showed this to 10 people and you showed them kind of the action trailer first, I would say six come out, if not disliking the film, disappointed, if they get up. I think it's all about expectation. And I think the greatest strength is teeing you up for that and then delivering something else. And I just wonder how many people are happy for that. It's a valid point. Like I say, it definitely wasn't, I expected exactly what you've just described. Getaway driver, I thought that's what this was going to be. I was... I was I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, the film was a like I'd be be completely honest. The film was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Mm. Um, yeah, I I I I, but I was expecting yeah him to be stuck behind a wheel for yeah. an incredibly long time, and I'm glad that I'm glad that it, I'm glad like I said, I'm glad that it wasn't. Um. Because what you actually get is just something that is it's very different. Yeah. It's, like, it is very different to so much of what was there, what was what was probably around at that time. It's one of the coolest looking films I've ever seen. Like you, you see a lot about films being stylish. Yeah. And it's you it's because you've got a shot like Reservoir Dogs of them walking in their suits and sunglasses, or yeah. it's you've got some fancy font on the uh, pre-credits or all of these little things. This just looks like 
someone with a completely fresh set of ideas from the transitions between the scenes and with the fade outs and things being there nothing's ever going to top the godfather one of his eyebrows fading into the trees yeah but when you've got these cool little things they're not in your face like they've been done on a windows movie maker it's just someone with a fresh set of ideas everyone knew what they were doing everyone was on board with what they were doing and i think the driving benefits for that it it never feels, as I said with the fighting, like things are beyond the realms of possibility. The closest we probably get is the classic action movie trope of, I know this looks cool anyway, but how cool would this be if I was also driving backwards? Yeah. And that's about as close as we get to it being as in your face like that. It's got just enough car in there to satisfy you. And that's what that's all I thought. I think by the time I watched this the first time, I believe it was sold to me as it's something a bit different. And so I, I went in like that. This time around, I remembered almost nothing. I clearly didn't watch it properly in 2011. And yeah, this is one of those, we do it every few weeks where I'm thinking about it still days later. I'm keen to watch it again almost immediately. Uh, yeah, th- this this was definitely one of them. We spoke about the hits and misses of Ryan Gosling when we did Place Beyond the Pines, and this is absolutely another hit. Yeah. He he was asked about a sequel, and the director said, no, there will never be a second Drive movie. It, it ends too imperfectly, and that's why it works. See, I actually would have preferred Joe the shot where he's just in the car. Yeah. I wanted it just to end there. I like that as well. Agreed. Um, just, and I couldn't work out last night whether or not I wanted to see the blink or not. Yeah, yeah, I get you. I know that sounds stupid, but I was like, I would cut it there. But I couldn't work out whether I'd cut it before he blinks or if I'd let him blink and then cut it. And I think I'd cut it before. Especially as it's even traditionally we would see her open his door and yes. there's the big bag of money there. She cries while taking the money. Yeah. Arm around her son. And we don't get any of that. It is imperfect. And yeah, that last shot will probably be the only criticism for me because the shot of him in the car, as you say, you don't know if he's going to blink or not, I think was mm. brilliant. Yeah. And I, I just wonder as a director, if you're asking, do I want people coming out of the film and basing everything around, did he live or did he die? do I give them more scope to appreciate what they've seen if I kind of remove that? It's a very good point. That is, yeah, really, really good point. And maybe that that could actually just be exactly what it was. Because knowing he's alive, yeah, I don't, it does, it takes away the ambiguity, don't it? And then mm. it's, you look, you can look back rather than focus on it. Yeah. I just think the way, the tone of it, I think that's how I would have ended it, which would have just been him in the car. So, Ryan Gosling stated that he'd always wanted to act out a superhero role, but the good ones were taken. And in various interviews, he spoke of this character to him being somewhat of a superhero. He described the scorpion jacket as a costume and the things he was doing being for the the, the best possible reasons, but people have to get hurt in the process. That jacket is fucking shocking, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, it's come out that he was actually offered the role of the Joker in the 2021 Suicide Squad. 
but turned it down. He says he has no interest in being involved in any sequels. He has a no sequel rule. He doesn't want to be tied into a franchise. And so uh, he left it alone. Which is a shame because I'd have loved the nice guys too. I I still think we might get that, to be honest. Do you? I think there's enough. The noise isn't going away on it. And the the murmurs seem to suggest that he did the Grey Man, didn't he? With because you told me about it. Yes, him and Chris Evans. Yeah, there's already talk of that being a sequel. So this, these comments were from 2011. Maybe things have changed. Or 2021, he was saying about the Joker. Ah, mm. uh, I think the nice guys in particular was it was an individual point. It's this them who started it out. It's not like you're doing the Joker for the 15,000th time, which yeah. from what I read of him, I don't think it's not, he doesn't have the energy. I don't think he uh, can, can be bothered almost to be in that conversation of was I better than Heath Ledger? How do I put my own unique spin on it? The nice guys was a unique story that they've worked on together. And so him essentially bringing back his own character, yeah. I would think carries more weight. Very possibly, man. Like, like, like I say, I, I, that is the case. I'd love it to be. I think you might, you might be bang on the money with the great with the grey man because if it's a Netflix thing and they want it, they seem too astute in their filmmaking to have not put something like that in. Yeah, to not to not have him sign it like sign that contract saying if you're on board for one, here's X amount of million dollars. But if you're on board for one, we reserve the option to make a number two. Yeah, I just can't. Yeah, I, I think that might be the one. That might be the one that breaks that rule. Do you think he could say no to Russell Crowe? I mean, I hope not. No, but maybe does does Big Russ want to come back into it? He's not. Yeah, yeah, I've done a lot. Russell Crowe said this, this and L.A. Confidential are the only two films he prepared. To, he'd be prepared to do a sequel for. Yeah, and again, I really hope it's true. I think it's we're doing it on the pod soon, and now we'll talk more about it. But yeah, I'd love that to be the case. Yeah. Um, in terms of the soundtrack, that's one of the most popular parts of this. I've had two songs from it on repeat since watching it on uh, Tuesday. Well, what were the two? Let me get what they were called again. Um, a Real Hero, which yeah. is the one that plays every time he sees Irene, and Under Your Spell or Desire. Yeah. Very good. Now, I've not seen this to comment on it myself. This film was actually rescored for BBC by Zane Lowe for its television broadcast in October 2014. Um, I looked at a review earlier and they said it falls flat. Nice idea, but doesn't work. Why bother? So, no, I'm not being horrible, but why bother? Well, when I tell you this, the, the music included um, Churches, Banks, Bastille, Eric Prids, Bring Me the Horizon, the 1975, and Laura and Vula. Okay. Just not, I don't know, I'm not sure of what the point is i believe it's on prime and you can watch this but yeah it's it's not doing a lot for me i think everything seems pretty well positioned to me 
in the version we've already seen. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely no need. No, I don't, I don't. I don't think so. And I don't. No, it's not like a a dig or anything. I think. Just, I, but I think that's true for any film. If that's the score, yeah. you put let that let that be. The the only change is, I since seeing the actual version of it on YouTube, I, I would wholeheartedly swap the football factory opening scene to having Supersonic as the soundtrack, as I know that's what was originally intended. Now, yeah, I get that, and it looks so good when you actually watch the scene on YouTube. It's it's so good. Okay, so that would be my only swap. Fair enough. Just to close this film out, the violence we've already spoken about, if we just go through some uh, of the instances, we have the moment that Standard robs the pawn shop, 40,000, pay off his debt. Yeah. And he gets pinged in the back. How shocked were you at this moment? Well, you hear the gunshot and you figure out he's going to die, right? I mean, just the, it going wrong, I guess. Well, I knew it was going to go wrong. It's in the synopsis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Okay, we'll move on to the next. Sorry, not to, not to steal your thunder, but I know that's the old point is that a heist goes wrong. And as this is the heist that I saw, I was like, oh, this, this must be where it goes wrong. Could have been Blanche. Could have been Blanche going down. Um, yeah, it could, yeah, you're right. It could have been, but it seems a lot harder because she doesn't get out of the car. She's all, she's uh she just got out of the car. She gets back in the car first. Yes, she does. Sorry, you're right. Yeah. Sorry. Um so the the driver hides with her in the motel, and this is the first time we really see him switch. Yeah. In there's few things more menacing in films than someone putting them gloves on and you know the hands are following soon after. Yeah. Dishes that backhand out. The I think it's of- Big old connection that as well. It's, it sounds bad. I think it's very important that the first hint of violence we see is towards a woman from his character because it's such a it's such an extreme jump. Yes. That by that point we know that the emotion He's willing to cross lines basically. Yeah. And not in a cringy comic book kind of way. This is like when he has to, he's going to get his hands dirty, and it just yeah. shows a side that we've not seen before. No, no, I agree. Then, I mean, moments after she goes into the bathroom, very coolly done. Actually, <laughs> we hear the sound, the frosty glass. We see him through. Yeah. As far as headshots go, that's quite a, a gruesome one. Yes, yes, it is. We would usually see, we would usually hear it, and then you see the spatter on the wall, don't you, as the body goes down. Yeah. This, we see, like, chunks of their head go flying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Set tease up what you see moving forward, though. Well, in, in the scene when he goes into the strip club, right in the back of the shot, you can actually see the prosthetics for that scene of her being shot in the head. You can see a uh, like a mannequin with a hole in the back of the head. Oh. But, Nice. Yeah, there's there's a lot of titties in that scene, and <laughs> even I don't know the wrong word there. 
very few people are going to notice that mannequin um, other than the people that I guess are tasked with finding the trivia. Yeah, um, I, mean, I can't tell you for sure. Did not notice. No. <laughs> um, and yeah, well, we've already referenced the shower pole through the chest. That's some level of strength he's got there. Uh, um, I think that's a, it's a brilliant scene. So it, it two, is. two and a half minutes, and then he bangs open the door, finishes off your man, and he's done. Him just stood in the in our bathroom door with it open, with blood just pissing it all like down his face. Is a very very good shot. His eyes are open, people are proper wild, aren't they? No snitches in that neighbourhood either. Nobody saw nope. a thing. Nope. He takes the he takes the mill, and then he tracks Cook to a strip club and threatens to kill him. That hammer to his forehead with the bullet is ice cold. Yes, it is. Yeah. You remember this making him swallow it? Yeah. Um, and we got. So first we have okay. This is where we see Ron Perlman, mm-hmm. and uh, and the boys in the pizzeria. Yeah, and they're having it out. Ron Perlman, by the way, should only play someone that looks like Thanos ever. That bloke does not look like a regular human being. No, no, I agree. He should just be a Hellboy Thanos or whatever else character yeah. with a big head. His jawline is. Fucking actually, halfway got himself. <laughs> like, it might be the strongest jawline you've ever seen. Yeah, it's, was... it's actually like it's like a it's it's actually a feat of nature. After going to the dentist recently, I was thinking about um, when I saw his the size of his head and his jaw, as you say, that little thing they put in your mouth when they have to do the X-ray. Mm. It must be an absolute whopper getting <laughs> around that trap. <laughs> And I don't know how he finds a hat that fits him either. He's just got to be strictly woolly hats and that elastic is being tested. <coughs> it's my game now. Strictly beaners. Yeah. And then I don't know how you, as a henchman, talk up in that scene like he does. You got to let me get him for you. Go in there, shut up. And then sit in there when they're talking about getting rid of anyone that can possibly link them. Yeah. You've got to realise the writing's on the wall. Yeah. Um, yeah, you com- confirm. And then just to show what a bastard he is, he stabs him in the eye with a fork before yeah. knifing his throat. Yeah, the fork's the fork is just wildly unnecessary. You clean up my mess for once. Mm. Did enjoy that. <laughs> um Yeah, and then we've got the lift scene. As a hitman. Why does he not take him out while he's kissing Irene? Don't know. Don't know. Snooze, you lose in this game. Yeah, he clocks you and then it's game over. As a genuine thing in America, like with how much maybe it's exaggerated in in this country to the extent of how many kind of uh, everyman hold guns. Yeah. Should seeing a gun in someone's pocket immediately tell you that they're the guy, or is that just uh, safe intuition on his part? I mean, I feel like probably it should, yeah. So I thought, like, everyone had one in certain states. Maybe, maybe you're right. It might just be a gun, but I feel like you should certainly, certainly be on edge. Yeah, yeah, fair. 
Um, and this is probably the best example of his character in he's doing this horrible, violent act yeah. purely to protect this woman. Yeah. And in doing so, he he's never going to have the same relationship with her ever again because she can no longer look at him after doing that. She has legitimately just watched him slam someone to death. Yeah. Out of order, that slap, when he explains, look, I was trying to help your uh, old man, but unfortunately, job's gone wrong. Uh, or was it a suggestion that I've still got the cash if you want it? I think it was, I, I think it's more that my husband's now dead and you're involved. Yeah. I think it's fair to, fair to lay hands. Right reasons, but wrong thing. Oscar mm. Isaac, nice little appearance from him, by the way. Yeah, it was, yeah. He sold it very well in the guy coming home. Yeah. He's a he's he's got a real like uh, physical presence anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that little standoff in the corridor. That's yeah, I enjoyed that. Let, let mum speak to her friend. Really tense with not a lot being exchanged, which is quite yeah. quite good. Very good. Um Yeah. Shannon cheek of him here divulging the whereabouts he finds that out and he gets his forearm slashed with a straight razor for his troubles when he just says it's too late that's, <laughs> that's the myth <laughs> yeah. I think that's probably my favourite quote actually he says don't worry it's too late yeah and it just leaves him to bleed out that's, that's I'm sure he tells him it doesn't hurt yeah and just trots away. Just yeah, no job done. Superb. Um. Then yeah, driver rubber stunt man mask follows Nino to the pizzeria. I thought he was going to go in all guns blazing. So did I. When he has that look through the door. Yeah. Bust that yes. door down. One shot. Bang. And then go get. Uh, Nino. I don't need the guy drop. Go get Bernie. Mm-hmm. The drowning, as you said, in a in a in a violent film, is very unviolent almost. Quite understated. So yeah. it's, it's it's a long shot. Yeah. The look on Perlman's face when he sees the car hurtling towards him is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's got enough time to get get away. <laughs> I mean, he's got a good eight or nine seconds, mate. I'm not saying I was thinking about this last night. I don't want to test it myself, but. I reckon if you put us like from that distance, I think you could get out of the car. Uh, I was going to say you would assume someone isn't hurtling towards you, but someone has just ploughed you off the road. Yeah, when I see the headlights, I start moving. <laughs> In terms of what you said about the time, I, you don't strike me as a man that has TikTok. But I don't. There was a there was a trend on there for a while where someone with a Jason mask would essentially do the walking behind someone as they have a short lead to run to the front door, try and get their keys out and open the door. And it was testing if you'd be able to do it in that situation. And yeah, the amount of people that can't, we should maybe start giving horror films more credit. Maybe. And then your thoughts on the final bit with, Bernie, because 
I don't know how you feel about this. As much as he clearly was, Bernie never felt like a big boss for me. He didn't feel like the big bad. It it kind of felt like just another person that the driver had to get through. And so I wasn't left disappointed by us not having a drawn-out kind of scrap at the end of it. I didn't feel like we needed it. it. It felt like that was about right. Two people telling each other they were going to do exactly the opposite. Yeah. And then within two strokes of a knife, one's done, the other's nearly done. Yeah. I think it, the long drawn out thing would just, I think just go so far against the rest of the film is the, is the main, main thing. Yes. Very, very interesting. Um, yeah. I, I think I spoke about, well, we had a whole thing last week where I was saying about needing to see these guys get their comeuppance. And it's actually off camera that we see the last moments for both of the main bad guys. But yeah, it didn't feel like I'd missed out on anything. No, I agree. So there we go. Will this be one you'll recommend in the future? Yeah. Yeah. Not like, oh, you've got to go and see this, but if it came up. Yeah. Sound a bit different. Mm. Um, let's move on then to uh, our second film of the day, and that is Man on a Ledge. All squads, be advised, we got a man on a ledge. Nick Cassidy, escape convict. The guy that stole the diamond off David Englander? He set me up. Hey, Nick. Hey, you see me? Don't worry, everyone's looking at me. I'll follow what you go. Let's take down a man that stole everything from you. Nick, we got a problem here. Find me. Man on a ledge, rated PG-13, January 27th. As a police psychologist works to talk down an ex-con who is threatening to jump from a Manhattan hotel rooftop, the biggest diamond heist ever committed is in motion. What do you think the critics thought of this one? Positive. Probably about seven points here. No, no, no. Um, no? No. Beyond entertaining, Man on a Ledge will have you walking the ledge of suspense, thrills, fun, and yes, laughter. There's a very thin ledge between stupid fun and stupid dull. And for its first half an hour, Man on a Ledge teeters perilously close to the abyss. Unfortunately, when the camera is not focused on that ledge, the film loses all its suspense and drama. A plain and tired heist movie with an interesting setup that is basically wasted with a lame script and uninspired performances throughout the entire piece. Man on a Ledge effectively keeps viewers on the edge of their seats for much of its runtime before eventually slipping into conventional cinematic territory. Hmm. Yeah. Is this the most straight to the point title of a film since Snakes on a Plane? I mean, it is up there, yeah. <laughs> I respect it. I know what I knew what I was getting. <laughs> Well, that's an interesting one because I I didn't remember them being as upfront about the fact that, look, the man on the ledge is purely a distraction. 
do you think you'd have preferred it not knowing that and that being something that came into play during the film, like a twist? Um, I, I don't know if I'd have preferred it. Obviously, it'd be very dear. It depends what else you do with it. But no, I, I, like I said, I've got no issue with, with how it comes about. Well, we spoke about Ryan Gosling a lot when we did The Place Beyond the Pines. And Sam Worthington, I think, is an interesting person for us to look at. So he helped kickstart Man on a Ledge into production when he expressed early interest in the script. He says a big part of the reason he got involved was because he had a fear of heights and he wanted to address that. And he read that the majority of the scenes on the ledge were going to be shot on the real ledge of the Roosevelt Hotel over 200 feet above 45th Street in Midtown Manhattan. I'd want an awful lot of money for that. Yeah. Now, something that's a feature we've done regularly, but the first time I'm going to address it. Time for a deep dive into Sam Worthington's IMDb. Okay. This is a new segment, is it? (laughs) One that we do weekly, but now warrants a sound effect. Can we get a better sound effect? Yeah, yeah, this was at short notice. Okay. Um, because the best dives actually mean there's no sound, which doesn't really work as well. No, no, I get that. Um, so, yeah, taking a look through, he gets his break really in 2009 when he's cast in the reboot of Terminator with Salvation yeah. and Avatar, obviously. Yeah. I was going to say, that's, that was his, that was his, that's like a career year, isn't it? Yeah, post-Avatar, then he's the guy. Um, For a little he, while, yeah, he has a, he has a, he has a, he has a moment. He does Clash of the Titans in 2010, so first film post-Avatar. He then does Man on a Ledge. These are two films back-to-back where he's front and centre. Only Man on the poster. We're using all the budget. We're getting you. He then does Wrath of the Titans in 2012. Performance was enough to get the reboot. You get Liam Neeson in there as Zeus. Yeah. Everest in 2015. um, A film that (laughs) I don't need to bring back to you. And Hacksaw Ridge in 2016. Not sure if you've seen that. Fucking great film out of yeah, the cinema. Yeah, incredible film. Vince Vaughn, one of my favourite Vince Vaughn performances. The boy. Um, I don't know if you ever watched Manhunt Unabomber. He's the he's the face of that. I know Sean watched it. I've never seen any of it because there's a couple of series of that, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, well, I think it may just be one. Manhunter, there's more than one series. They do another Manhunter there is. This was Manhunt Unabomber, it was called. Yeah, um, but I thought it was the same. it's the same no, cast. No, right? no, no. No, okay. no, completely separate. Um, Man oh, Hunter was the it's David Fincher. It's really, really good. But yeah, there's two seasons of that. Um, and he's now locked in to play Jake Sully till at least 2030. So <laughs> he has secured the bag for uh, a considerable length of uh, time into the future. Yeah. So he's all sorted. It's strange because he does. He's got the leading man look. He can do just about everything a leading man does. If you were going to be overly critical, what do you think separates him from the other guys he's competing with? I think he's gone too blockbuster. Look at that. look at those like Terminator, Avatar, yeah. Titans. This is the outlier. Yeah, that's fair. I don't yeah, know if that's right or not, but like, if you look at him and look at him and Gosling, the select the film selections couldn't be more different. Even him and I mean, Gillen, or maybe not lately because he did, he did obviously this Spider Man, but 
that's as a villain. But the films he's the lead in, again, very different. Yeah, there's... He he looks like every leading role he should get should be a guy who's going to lead a battalion of troops. Like he's he's built enough where he can he can play that part. Yeah, I mean Hacksaw Ridge obviously is in, but again, it's not a lead. No, they, it, they ask him to they task him with leading. They're very different, aren't they? Yeah, and they are all. I'm the strong man. Um, yeah, I'm the guy that can do this. And Gosling, as a comparison. Strength is, is is merely uh, a strength of the bow. A lot of a lot of yeah, a lot of Gosling's is like Sam Weatherton's is I can do this. Gosling's a lot of this is I have to do this. Yeah, different to- obviously different tone of film like of like just like blatantly, but that is a big difference. What well, like with with Man on a Ledge, I guess the difference that stands out with the other ones that we've gone through is that you could get the weediest man or the strongest yeah. man technically to do this because the, the one scene where he uses his physical strength in uh, escaping from the guards, you could easily put someone like Andrew Garfield, let's use him. You could easily do it where he outmaneuvers the police yeah. officers and that's how he does it that way. Exactly, yeah. I would say there's just not enough different about him. He doesn't look, say, as grizzled as like Hugh Jackman doing that role. He's not as yeah. slick as Ryan Gosling. He just kind of looks I don't even know the word. I mean I, I he, he's the he's the everyman of Hollywood leading man. Yeah. I was gonna say average, but actually when you look at the bloke he's not an average looking No, player. they they tried bringing him back. They tried doing one that was a Netflix job a few years back. I remember it getting horrible reviews so I didn't bother it was called something like fracture and it was the the classic um my memory's gone but i i think this time it was like he remembered his wife and daughter being kidnapped but they didn't actually exist or something like that okay. it was like a piecing the memory together job i'm in hospital and then the big thing is going to be that they don't exist or yeah. know, someone else is or but it didn't really work and then having the Avatar one to fall back on probably isn't the worst thing. No, no, I wouldn't have thought so. Which is strange because I still don't look at him as like that Avatar guy. And that's the thing with, for the size of Avatar, and this is something that Cameron's criticised recently, Jake Sully isn't a household name. No, but it, it, was, ne- they, it was never going to be. He spends half his film not being Jake Sully for fuck's sake. <laughs> but what do you expect? Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna use the example, but I know there's a book as well. Because I was gonna say, even if you compare the size of everything there, both added up, Jack Reacher, I would say, is more of a name for your everyman than Jake Sully, and yet this is the biggest film that's ever existed. Yeah, but again, it's about the tribe, and it? it actually becomes less about the individual. And like I say. Spends half it not in human form being called something else. Yeah, Tarantino would uh, probably fits in with his Marvel criticisms. Yeah, I mean, it, so it, it, it seems it, it's, it's more than well, obviously, so it, he is right, but it's more than plausible. But that's the way it was going to go when most of the film he takes part in. Like, I know he's technically the leading man, but he's not, is he? No, no, okay, you but right. okay. 
I do like that they still, it is them doing it. It's not purely C. Is that what it is? So it's still CGI, but they're still acting it out. You know what I mean? They've got, yeah, the, uh, yeah. I, I get it again. It's it, that last why the, the film was never going to lend itself to it was always going to do more. For, it's going to sound fucking stupid because it's always the way, but it was going to do obviously do more for the actor than it was the character. Yeah. It's, it's I'm, just, I'm actually going to see Avatar next Friday. So the next pod we do together, I will be able to report back. You're a joke. Well, why? Well, I've got my cinema card, so I do need to use it. But why? I'm going to go. I'm going to go straight from work, so I'm not going home to go back out and watch a three-hour film. No, um, and I'm going in 3D as well, so I'm going all in. Okay, I'll be. I'll be interested to know what you think of the 3D. Yeah, and well, I'm hoping because I was really impressed with it first time around. So I'm hoping second time around. Um, if anyone is going to revive 3D cinema, I do yeah. think it's like <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We think it's to go. We think it is going to be James Cameron. Yeah. Now, this film, so much of the film is centered around look how high up we are. Yeah. So all of the wide shots of the actors on the ledge were real. Um, yeah. The restraining cables are obviously used and then hidden from camera view or edited out. Yeah. I saw a criticism of this, and it's one that I remember being there at the time. Someone simply said, how should I react when the man on the ledge doesn't take it seriously? <laughs> they said, I believe, and this is Roger Ebert. Yeah. I believe if you're standing on a 21st floor ledge in a fair wind, you take it very seriously. To yeah. be sure, the man is threatening to commit suicide. So if he fell, that would fit into his plan. But since we know he's not serious, what is the thinking here? Like, Mm. We we obviously know he wasn't going to jump anytime soon. The film yeah. would be over. Yeah. But we we go past the usual shots of um, kind of looking straight down past the, the toes of his shoes. But then, like, the way he's kind of faking to jump, the way he's maneuvering around on what is a very tight ledge, they say it just never really yeah. feels like he is that high up. No, I get that. After the, cause the early moment, isn't there? There's the early moment where he's kind of, whoa, when he first gets out. And then after that, it's like he's out on space and he's acclimatized. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's very strange how it's done. And that was something I thought the second time around. The only time he really says anything is when the helicopter from the news news team comes up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, no no issue. No. If we thought Sam Worthington was a star at this point, a lot of the comments at the time were around Genesis Rodriguez and it was her debut on film. So she is playing this action heroine of the time. It's the same year as Dark Knight Rises and Obviously, she can't rob a bank without squeezing herself into a skin-tight latex costume yeah. with a push-up bra in there and bright pink underwear. Yeah. You'd recognize her. She does another film in this bracket. I don't think you'll get this. I'll be impressed if you do. Do you know what else she's been in that we've done so far on the podcast? Uh small role small role she played the wife 
of a main character. I can picture it. <laughs> I can pick. I can. I can fully see it. Mrs. Conlon, her name is in the film. Hmm? Mrs. Conlon, her name is in the film. Run all night. Yeah, she plays yeah, John yeah. Kinnaman's wife in Run All Night. Yeah, yeah, she is, yeah, you're right. Could picture the scene in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. That was and, what I could, that's what I had in my head. And where you would make purely, and I, I mean this in the least disrespectful way possible, I'm actually, it's actually a compliment here. If she had no talent at all, we've seen people with very limited acting ability continue to get roles because of how good looking they are. Yeah. So she could get by on that alone. She obviously can act. She's done plenty. Yeah. She picks up her career really in voice work. Um, She voiced a character called Honey Lemon in Big Hero 6, which I know is one of the big animated films of the last 10 years. And a subsequent TV show comes from that. So she's done about 70 episodes of the TV show, the film. She was in the reboot of the Fugitive TV show. Okay. Which also has the uh, son that gets killed from Ronald Knight in that as well, by the way. Okay. And she was in that Umbrella Academy, which was on Netflix. Yeah, I've never seen. But no, nor have I. But nothing too huge, which the reviews at the time, Sam Worthington kind of gets told he's doing Sam Worthington things. Her alongside Ed Harris are the people that are actually pointed out from this film. Okay. But doesn't seem to go anywhere. Well, I mean, she might have got caught up in that big Hero uh, 6. I mean, I imagine Disney are paying out some serious old money. Yeah, yeah. Not so it might just be one of them. I'm, I'm yeah. okay with it. I like doing it. And this keeps the lights on. Um, sort of further criticism for this film, and we'll put out that I, I don't have any great issue with this film I, I remembered it more fondly from the first time I saw it in 2012 but I expected that yeah I, I, of... enjoyed, like, I, I didn't mind I, I have seen it before I didn't unlike you I didn't have a lot of memory of it no, no. my memory my memory of it solely was the scene with a cigarette where he's like look you can go and fingerprint me now yeah yeah uh, I remember thinking that was it was quite a good chat the first time I watched it. Don't know why, just always did. Um, and the reveal coming from there as to who he is. So when I watched back the trailers for this beforehand, they go big. They go big on the heist side of things. Yeah. The the one shot that is in every single trailer is her pulling on that latex jumpsuit in her underwear. Yeah. Um, they made the most of that. That was pro- purely in there to be a trailer shot, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, it's sold as being like a very slick film and a lot of what people thought when this film was being made and the way the synopsis read and the way uh, it's kind of being spoken about Phone Booth was the one that they liked comparing it to I get that I actually think you could have done a lot more with this film if you did do it in the Phone Booth way don't even show me the heist yeah, you could you could have the earpiece in. You could explain that. You could have the tension up on the roof, and you could do it that way. Yeah, I get that. And we've spoken about the other films. It's just set in one place. When we spoke about Locke earlier. Yeah, 
I I don't know. The phone booth, the danger to the character seems more obviously real. Yeah, it seems more real, more evident because you like like you say, you know he ain't gonna jump. Yeah. Um. So it does take like Roderick makes point if he's not saying like taking it seriously, it does lose something. I don't think it loses as much as people possibly say. Um. But it's one one of them. Yeah, he he added, it's perhaps a problem that there's less suspense and peril on the ledge than in the diamond vault where Genesis Rodriguez squeezes her pink underwear into an Emma Peel outfit to crawl through Mission Impossible-style air vents. That pink underwear went a long way with the reviewers. Yeah. Odd. I mean, it's not odd, but... But that is fair. There's a lot more peril in terms of the, okay, are we going to get past these sensors in time? Yes. Once we clock on, this guy's not jumping anytime soon. Yeah. And very early on, he actually kind of exposes his own plot in the, you know, you need to give me time. Yeah. Yes. At that point, we kind of, we don't really need to see you anymore. No, that is true. Once you know that, it moves to the, moves to the heist. At that point, we're learning more about Elizabeth Banks' character than we are his. Yes, exactly. Who was supposedly not the first choice. Amy Adams was the first choice for this role. Okay. That's interesting. No no disrespect at all. She's usually a lot more careful with the roles she chooses than something like this. If you go down their IMDb, I bet it's like seven, seven, seven plus for almost yeah. everything she does. I'm not, sure, I'm not this... sure I've seen her in any... I don't mean she is in Talent Vega Nights. Yeah. That's like 2004, though, isn't it, to be fair? So. Six. Is it, is it really? Blimey. Yeah, Anchorman's 04. Okay, there you go. That's confusion. Um yeah, once she established herself, she's a lot more careful. Yes, yeah, and I was just trying to was just going to say. So I'm not sure I've ever trying to think of I've ever seen her in something that I didn't like her in. No, I'm not sure. Although, actually, for the most part, I, I, I think I think the same is true of Elizabeth Banks. To be honest, yeah, yeah, no issue, no no issue with her at all. I actually think no, I think she's great. Um, you probably, as we said, at the point where Sam Worthington's character has essentially done its job, mm. you could do more with her character. Yes, um, she could she could and becomes one of, but she could she could have become the focal point of it. Well, we do a lot of the tropes in this film, and as I, when I said about not being disrespectful, it's that I don't think this film ever set itself out to like when the reviews came in if you kept this reviewer away from all of the noise surrounding it and 10 days after release, you stuck the IMDb score in front of them and they saw a 6.7, I think they go, oh, yeah, fair enough. I don't think they would have been anything under a seven and they're going to be gutted. Yeah. Like even the, the, the tropes they use just, it's interchanged to be a female in this case, but, rolling out of bed, mm-hmm. chuck the pills down. Oh, give me a bite of that junk food. 
Yeah. You look, I don't play by the rules. I uh, I live on the edge. Yes. So that that's essentially what they do with her character. Just yeah. Like you said, the, big, hard the, only, the real the change is this time it's a woman rather than a bloke. Yeah. 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 If, that's not, it's not, whilst technically, yes, it is a significant change. It's, it, it actually doesn't because the character yeah. could always have worked as a male or female. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If you're going to give your villain as little screen time as this, are there many better people you could choose than Ed Harris who just has that energy coming off him regardless of what he's doing? Just plays a phenomenal bad guy. Always has, always will. Regardless of what we said about the film, like a history of violence only stands up because uh, of his character. Uh, Ronald Knight as well. He makes that film better. Yeah, precisely. National Um, Treasure makes that film better. Yeah. National Treasure 2, rather. But just, yeah, he just plays a phenomenal bad guy. And I'm sure I've missed about 17 examples. Yeah, I, I took this from The Guardian. They say, with minimal screen time, Harris is a man of the match as a supremely nasty property developer with a diamond fetish. But Rodriguez, a stone fox with comedy chops, will probably get the most future work on the strength of her showing. It's a very fair, it's a very fair assessment of the film. I think. Yeah, he he, he does what he's supposed to do. He, he does the classic... Yeah. Uh, villain of look I'm going to go now so deal with these for me yeah which yeah I, I, I like all that um, probably if I was going to criticise goes down a bit too easy at the end for, I mean for no fault <laughs> of his it's just like <laughs> well I wrote I wrote this down actually um, we say about the plan and how well the the, the plan goes the things that have to go right for this plan to work. And this is a film of uh, you get over your kind of suspension of disbelief early on. Yeah. yeah. And you sort of have to. The Guardian's headline was it's complicated rather than clever. Yeah. So we're relying on Nick has to be released for the funeral. Yeah. He has to escape the two armed guards. Yeah. Get safely into Manhattan. Check yeah. into a room on the correct floor and side of the hotel. Yes. Not fall off the ledge prematurely, which <laughs> would kill him and the whole plan. Yeah. Joey and Angie have to find the world's largest diamond, which is not where it's supposed to be. <laughs> and we need a TV reporter to sum up the meaning of everything and bring about the happy ending right at the end. Yeah. I'm going to hit you with a theory I wrote down while watching this. I think if you did things differently, Jamie Bell could be everything Tom Holland is. Uh, There was a moment where I thought he might, he could have been the guy. It's a long time ago now, but there was really a moment where I thought he could be the guy. And unfortunately, we don't get that. We get Jumper. They try doing the revival. Fantastic Four. But we don't get what, uh, as you say, we possibly could have got 
Yeah, he was in that Defiance film. I don't know if you remember that. You'd probably remember the poster, if not, with uh, Daniel Craig. Oh, it was God. like some... Have you ever seen that, by the way? I remember watching it in my grandma's house, and oh, it was God. a lot longer than I anticipated. And so I'm not sure I ever finished it because I borrowed the DVD. Very and there was good. just a lot more walking than I remember there than I thought there would be. Very, very good, though. About the, the, about the Jewish people who yeah. Yeah, form like a resistance to the Nazis. Yes, yeah, yeah. him, Liv Schreiber, Daniel Craig. Yeah. Also would be my summary of Red Dead Redemption. There was a lot more walking and riding around than I thought there would be. Never played either of them. I got the whatever the one that blew up was and I didn't get on with it. Mm. As I say, too much just aimlessly riding around from place to place on horseback. Didn't do the same for me. Um, there's one thing mm. that... <laughs> I, I, with. I remember watching Jumper and thinking he yeah. was very good in it. Hayden Christensen, not so much. That's the disrespect. We're still going to, well, we're going to find a way to do Jumper at one point just for the pure nostalgia purposes. I really liked it. Yeah, so did I. Um, quite surprised that didn't make a franchise or something. Just the concept seems to lend itself to that. But Yeah, it really does. They were trying to make Hayden Christensen that guy at the time. But yeah, they, they, they should have focused on Jamie Bell. Yeah, yeah he got a leading role with uh, Jessica Alba, which, as you know, my thoughts there. Uh, uh, Awake, it was called. No, I never don't know that. It was, it was the when they were really just preying on people's fears, and it was, what if you were having this really bad surgery, and then the anaesthetic, you're actually awake the whole time. Um, oh fuck! Have they made a film out of that? Like you're listening to the thoughts inside of his head, and he's hearing that like the surgeons are conspiring to take his wealth and all of these other things, okay. while Jessica Alba's on the outside figuring this out as it goes on. Okay. Yeah, there's something that I wrote down. I'm no stunt man. <laughs> yeah. Could you jump twenty-one floors onto <laughs> onto that? inflatable and just jump up and continue your run in stride like nothing has happened no you couldn't they would have to pay me the amount of money you'd have to pay me to stand on a ledge 21 floors <laughs> up even harnessed in would stagger you well like, do you think you could physically do that like surely you've got to be winded in some sense just for the sheer fall yeah. from that height don't know don't know maybe it maybe it was it's just the Ellison, isn't it yeah, no, I just mean like for the purpose of the film, like yeah. the way he does that, and then everyone just lets him get out of my way, move, move. Yeah. Um, the one guy who actually shouts Attica at one point, he's gone full uh, dog day afternoon. Mm. That you need him around to save the day, also because he stops the police on two occasions. Yeah, again, that's another fortunate fortunate event. No. Would not be trying that in America. No, I mean, no, no, no. <laughs> also, the, he takes that one policeman. There's two more in front of him. They just let him deckhead Harris, yeah. reach into his pocket, and with no further explanation is able to go, see, see, he's got yeah. the diamond. And they go, well, that's it. How do you feel? You've just proven your innocence. Yeah, you, you're good to go. Sorry, <laughs> mate. We'll see you later. Yeah. I genuinely don't know how this would work. Despite having proven him innocent, Surely the two could still get in trouble for breaking into a vault using explosives 
Yeah. <laughs> it's also, do you know the whole? Oh, I've I've just broken out of jail. Yeah. <laughs> he can still be Nick. I mean, he can still be Nick for that. Yeah. Well, we know. You, yeah, we know you're not innocent. We know you now. Know you're innocent of the crime. It's fine. You haven't got to go to jail for ten years, but we're slinging you back in for another six months because you did break out of jail. That's a classic film thing, isn't it? Um, yeah. They did in the Fugitive as well. well how do you feel? You've proven you're. Innocent. How do you feel? Always a newscaster on board. Yeah. And they usually do a, like a moral thing there where mm. the newscasters change their mind. I guess Gone Girl's the perfect example. This time, yeah. they're just sound. You nearly knocked me off the ledge with your helicopter, but yeah, all good. Yeah, I'm all right. See you later. I'm off for a point. Like, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's all bad, but, but these are the type of films uh, that have to be made. Well, I don't think we can get enough of these these days. Uh, um, you know my thoughts. Yeah. Shall we get on to the judging? Yeah. All right. Which film did you prefer? Drive. Agreed. Which film do you think is more rewatchable? Uh, Drive. Also agreed. Best moment slash scene? The scene in the bathroom in Drive. That's a great shout. I would probably say... Yeah, I'd probably agree. Yeah, I think so. Between that and the heist gone wrong, but yeah, yeah. bathroom. Although, I, uh, I might go for the lift, actually. Fair. I'd yeah, I'll go for the lift. It. Yeah, I'd consider it. Best quote's an interesting one. It's not. It's it's Bernie when he kills Shannon. Or I do really like Gosling's little monologue at the start. That's a good chat, actually. Yeah, yeah. And having heard you recreate the uh, wipeout of Brian Cranston, I would agree. Mm. MVP, is it? Driver, is it? Uh, it's Sam Worthington. Worthington, of course it is. I'm going to say, and I don't want to go uh, full either here. I think it's actually if you're picking someone from that film, it probably has to be Angie. Okay, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. I don't don't think she you're wrong. More, I know he breaks out of armed guards, but. She, She's the one putting in the work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jamie puts in that graft. Mm. Something that very rarely happens in these things. For usually you're nervous breaking in, and then once you're in, you're sound. Mm-hmm. I'd probably be more nervous once you're in. Yeah. Like every every tiny noise, I'd be getting worked up. But yeah, doesn't work like that in films. But that is what would happen because, and once 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 you've broken in, you've committed the crime. So exactly, you're, you're at risk of being caught every second. Yeah. Um, best side character. Just out of pure love for the, just for pure love of his voice, I'm going burn it. Ah. <laughs> uh, well, we haven't even mentioned Anthony Mackie's <laughs> doing his thing in the man on ledge. Um, 
I'm going to go Shannon. Yeah, I've got no problem. Better heist crew. Oh, I'm going man on a ledge, considering they actually managed to get <laughs> they, they they don't get they don't get fucking dis- slaughtered and don't start killing each other. I think the answer is pretty clear as well. It, actually, it's not because who got away with more? Technically, technically, they get their brother's it's not, freedom, it's not but... even a technicality. It's drawing. It's, yeah, the diamond. We never know what happens. They don't get away with it. No, that was why. Yeah, I stopped yeah. myself. Best soundtrack. Is drive, yeah, unreal. Originality. What's your pick? They, they both, they both really are fairly original, are they? I don't think Malo Ledge is too original. But I mean, drive, drive, give it. Drive devolves into not being very original. No, I also agree. I saw someone say it's, it's where we would usually see the review of a B movie done well. Yeah, um, but I for stylistically and even then feels fresher to me. Yeah, and I, I, I'll edge that way, but I don't. I think it devolves into not cliche, but it, it does devolve into something you've seen before. Yeah, for sure. Uh, bigger impact is is driver unequivocally. Yeah. Best opening scene is also the same answer. Yeah. Best ending? Man on my ledge. I'm going drive there. Okay. And best chemistry? Uh, best chemistry? I'm going uh, drive. Oh, it's, yeah. Look at it go that way. Even just for him and uh, Mulligan with zero words that, exchanged for the most part. That's that's what swung it for me. So that is it. Eleven two is the final score hmm. in favour of Drive. So Drive goes through to the next round. No Keener next week. It will be the Movie Madness Christmas special. Elf is confirmed. We were going to do that two years ago before I was struck down by food poisoning. Um, and it's going to be up against either Home Alone 2 or Die Hard 2, unconfirmed there. Is Die Hard 2 a Christmas film? Yes, it's actually more of a Christmas film than the first one. Okay. I'm not sure I've ever seen Die Hard 2. Yeah. It's again set on Christmas Eve, but the whole thing is about getting known for Christmas. And, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so there we go. And we've already done Die Hard on the podcast. Exactly. So it'll be one of those, but but I'm sure you've seen both. So tune in for that. And so, yeah, that'll be us next week. It'll be with Kieran who came in for the in Bruges podcast. And then Keenan will be back for the episode after that. So won't be going too far away as always. Thank you for listening to another edition of movie madness. We'll be back. Goodbye.